Welcome to Winds of Change, a Reckless Abandoned Ministries podcast. What you are about to listen to is something we believe has the power to spark change in your life. We pray that God not only blesses you through it, but that He reaches into your heart and stirs things up to bring about change in your life, change that glorifies Him and builds His eternal kingdom. Through the struggles I face. The song playing is Satisfied by About a Mile. You can find it on all digital platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Music. We are very grateful for their sponsorship of our program in this way. Through the constant wandering, when my doubt is crippling, and this will be my, this will be my prayer. Welcome to Winds of Change, Reckless Abandoned Podcast listeners. I'm here with Tim Cleary. Um, and Tim, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, look, I'm one of the creators of a game called the Etherlight Chronicles of the Resistance. Uh, we've got a studio of, of 30-ish uh, coders, developers, artists, writers, uh, and I guess business people who uh, work together to build a game that retells the story of the Bible for a uh, generation that's growing up playing games and online. That's awesome. It's a, it's a very unique ministry. And um, on this podcast, the general theme kind of is doing all things to the glory of God. And can you tell me a little bit about the specific way in which your your work, the Aetherlight, or I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, can you tell me a little bit how that glorifies God and what you guys yeah, do? Yeah, absolutely. I think we glorify God when we, uh, when we use our gifts and abilities to the best of our ability, if you will. Um, often we think we're glorifying God when we step out, but I think we're glorifying God when we start to walk. And so um, we have a ethos of just doing everything with excellence to the very end of our ability as humans, whether it's our art style, whether it's our narrative development, whether it's our code. We want it to be uh, among the very best so that when God does get on that, it, it takes it to a whole new level. And uh, so that's really important to us. But the other thing is, you know, we want to uh, encourage kids to live out of faith, hope, and love. And so that uh, glorifies God because when we live out of faith, we're living out of the story he's given us, the story that he's written for us, the story that uh, we've entwined our lives to as, as, as believers. When we live out of love, we're living out of encounter with each other, genuine uh, desire to know each other and to really uh, connect and encounter one another. And when we live out of hope, we're living out of, des- of a desire to innovate, not for innovation's sake, but to simply see uh, the kingdom of heaven come to earth now and that, that, that God would be seen in what we're doing and what we're creating and that life would be better as a result. Absolutely. And can you walk me through a little bit of how the game kind of works, kind of the whole process of, of the game there. Yeah, so kids are kind of, well, I say kids, but it's not even kids anymore. I mean, in all honesty, we built it for kids, but really early on, parents jumped in and said, hey, we want to play too. Can you do something for us? And we had to create family packs. But, you know, the thing is, people are thrust into this experience, this game, and uh, they find themselves in aphasia, this uh kind of crazy steampunk world in which a usurper king is taken over and uh, and a resistance is required 
to return that land to its rightful king and to remind that land of what it means uh, to be blessed by the great engineer. And so young people, whether they're 6 or 65, I met a 65-year-old woman who plays relatively regularly the other day. That was pretty awesome. Uh, they jump in here and they get to have the story of God as revealed in the Bible replayed in this steampunk world and they get to be a part of it. So by doing that, they get to feel the emotions of Scripture in a way that you don't get just by reading it. Suddenly Abraham is your boss and you get to see Abraham oscillate between faith and faithlessness. Suddenly Isaac is your best friend and you get to see Isaac be this dutiful young man and why in the world would he ever, uh, you know, why in the world would Abraham ever want to walk him up a mountain? And uh, you're there when that kind of takes place and suddenly you're feeling the emotions. Abraham, why did you choose now to be totally faithful? You've stuffed up everything else. You know, you've, you've tried to take matters into your own hands every single other time except this one. What the heck is up with that? This is your boy. And so you're suddenly in there. You're, you're deep in those emotions. And it allows you to connect with Scripture in a way uh, that we often don't with our modern reading of Scripture. Yeah, and... I think as many ways as we can experience scripture, whether it's reading it, whether it's hearing it, whether it's hearing someone else talk about it um, or playing it through in video game format, the more we interact with scripture, the more we will retain it, the more we will be more inclined to live it out and understand it. Um, a lot of times, so video games slash computer games are viewed negatively in the world. Is this a fair perception of video games? And then why or why not? Yeah, but I think so. I mean, Everything can be viewed negatively. Uh, you know, you look at novels, right? Uh, you look at Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. Uh, you could say the same thing of those experiences as you could of games. It's all just meaningless escapism. It's distracting. It's addictive. You know, people people call games addictive, but they don't call books that are listed as page turners addictive, though they are, right? Was that because the experience ends? Maybe, but the experience ends with a with a game as well. But what what many people see as escapism, I see as preparation. I think we need to look at, at the games we're playing and think very carefully about what those experiences entail. But I think that games can be an incredible source of inspiration and preparation. We see games all through the medical industry being used to help uh, redirect people in pain to uh, – you know, be a part of their pain med, med, uh, pain management schedule. Uh, we see games all the time being used in, in education, uh, in math, in uh, problem-solving skills, in critical thinking. So games are actually immensely positive. Uh, they also give us a safe place to fall, uh, which I really appreciate. In a game, you can make decisions and you can see those outcomes in real time but in a way that doesn't have consequences that are going to mar you forever. And so like books, through Boromir, we learn to fall softly. Through Boromir, we learn the lesson of what it means to be entitled and try and take the ring. It meant we didn't have to. Same with a game. So I think that's really, really valuable. Yeah, I actually had not really thought about it that way because we do hold up books as being, well, there's, you know, there's books, but then video games are kind of down here. Um that's a good thing to think about. And then kind of as a counter question to that, if, you know, we, a lot of Christian writers have now seen, okay, books are really powerful. Let's, you know, let's use this to glorify God. 
what do you say that maybe Christian game developers, if there are many more of them besides you guys out there, need to be doing with games? Yeah, look, I think we have to get, and it's the same for authors, we have to get out of a hobbyist mentality. Everybody wants a renaissance, but nobody wants to pay for it. And we forget that a renaissance happened because Christians were the best in their field. And so what we need to do is if we want to be game developers, if we want to be authors, if we want to be flip, if we want to be televangelists, we've just got to be the very best of the best. We've got to work hard. We cannot expect God to honor uh, this little project that we put some of our time into or some of our heart to. We've got to give everything we've got to this thing. And then when God gets on it, uh, we're going to see immensely more than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. And how do you... Uh, how do you get to that point? Because we're like, we're talking to teens and adults. So it's, they're, they're emerging into, okay, what am I going to do with my life? And some of them may want to go this route, but just have absolutely no clue how to even begin. Yeah, look, I think there's a, there's, there's a few ways to start that project. I, I was a youth and young adults pastor for so long. And I remember um, doing it really well and doing it really badly. Uh, because sometimes you, you're the guy who's on stage telling kids that they can be whatever they want to be. You know, you stand there with young people going, you are the hero of your story, you are a conqueror, and while all of that is true, it doesn't necessarily set us up for success. Because what we have to do is realize that God is already working in the world with or without you. And what we have to do as creatives, as creators, or sub-creators, if you will, is we have to go, okay, where is God working and how can I be involved in that? And, and, and that is so important that we remember this is not our story. Uh, this never was our story. This never will be our story. We get to partake in the story of God. Um, we get to be part of his, our working, his plan in the world. And so how do you start? You go, what is God doing? How can I be a part of it? And then when I'm a part of it, how can I give everything to that? How can I be the very best at whatever that is? You know, everybody is in the mission field, whether you're a plumber, a farmer, or, or a full-time, you know, ministry worker. We're all in the mission field. It's how we look and the lens with which we perceive our lives and our calling. And... Uh, and how we engage that. So how can we be the very best at what we've been called to do and what we find ourselves doing for the glory of God? I think that takes a lot of prayer, a lot of digging through God's word, a lot of looking at, okay, where has God placed me in life? Where has, what skills has he given me? Instead of trying to push to do something that maybe is not as planned just because that's what we want to do or that's like our dream. Um, and some people have said to me recently that they're kind of tired of always having to take a, and I quote, Christian alternative to a worldly activity, you know, such as, you know, playing a Christian video game versus a non-Christian one. What is your response to this? I mean, all, all story is powerful, right? I mean, there is no, there is, when you look at the, the stories that are in our popular culture, you know, so many of them come straight from scripture, right? The underdog story is David and Goliath, that, the Superman story, I mean, it, it's straight out of Scripture, a son sent by a father for a world that needed help. I mean, we can find the narrative of God throughout so many of the narratives of culture. Uh, do we need a Christian alternative? You know, well, I wish we didn't, but we do. Because those, those families who don't want their kids playing certain games or reading certain books, I want those kids 
to still be able to stand by those books that they are allowed to read and go, this is awesome. So for us, it's like, have we made a Christian alternative to the video games of the world? Yes, we have. But we've done it as well as we can. So that little Christian kid doesn't have to be ashamed of the games he's allowed to play. He can invite his non-believing friends in and they can have the best experience out. And that kid can be so darn proud of that game, so darn proud of that experience and be stoked to be a Christian, be stoked to have this game that reminds him what it means to live right side up in an upside down world and it's great for him to hang out with his friends. He doesn't feel Bible bashed, they don't feel Bible bashed, but at the same time he feels safe and so does his parents. That matters so much to me. Yeah, and I think... It's hard because you guys have created a, a good game. I, I um, played it the other day. You guys have created a, a good and excellent game. You know, it's well-crafted. And there's been some Christians out there that have made like a handful of, you know, good, solid Christian movies or good, solid um, Christian books. But there's not enough. <laughs> and so people feel like, well, can I just like only read Christian books or only watch Christian movies, you know, because we do need kind of a more pure alternative. And I mean, what are, what are kind of some of your, your further thoughts on that? Cause like, I know a lot of people listening to this will be like, you know, that's really great. I'd love to just have these Christian alternatives. You know, I'd love to have something that I'm proud of that I can say, Oh yeah, I'm proud to be watching this movie or playing this game, but there's just not enough of it out there. Yeah, look, I think we've just got to we've got to tell good stories, not necessarily God stories, because good stories are God stories. Does that make sense? It's about how we brand these things, how we connect these things with culture. You know, there are some incredible stories out there written by Christians for the mainstream market. Uh, there are some cr- incredibly faithful people who work in the game studios and the movie studios that are creating some things that. That, that many of us wouldn't see, but there are glimmers of hope and light in the cracks. And so we just have to be discerning in how we view and the questions we ask ourselves and the way we relate. I mean, Harry Potter is a great example. I would state that it is the – and I'm going to offend half your listeners here, and I'm all right with it. I would state that it is the best allegory of the 21st century, and everybody who's offended right now is going, but it's full of witches and witchcraft. Cool, so was Lewis and Narnia. But here's the thing. Yes, it may be full of witches, wizards, and, and all that stuff, but it's a mechanic. It's a device used to tell a story that is 100% about love, right? 100% about sacrificial love, right? 100% about what sacrificial love does to a person to allow them to thrive and to be living sacrifices in their own right. I mean, if that's not great allegory, I don't know what is. So we need to take our lenses off of kind of piety and thinking and just ask better questions, right? How how can this narrative, whether I believe in it or not, in, whether I uh, relate to it or not, how can this narrative, what does it tell me about being fully human, a better human, a better image bearer of Christ. And there's some, mate, that are absolute dross. There are some that we just don't want to connect with. But there are so many narratives out there that can actually speak to our speak to us. I mean, you know, even Martin Scorsese's the, the, the movie Silence, that's not that's immensely God filled and God honoring. 
Was it made by Christians? Well, some of them were, right? But it's a mainstream release that has so much to say to Christian culture and and, and we don't necessarily listen to it. And there are so many like that. I talked for way too long there, sorry. No, you're good. Um, yeah, we've talked a lot um, in previous podcasts with um, many people about the battle of the definitions of Christian, of secular and stuff. And unfortunately, what happens is there's a lot of people who either will – they'll go different ways. So there's some people who will say – I'm only going to watch this movie or read this book if it's got the label of Christian on it. Whereas there's other people who are like, I'm not going to put a label of Christian on it. I'm going to release it through the mainstream, but it's, you know, it's going to be a Christian work. It's going to reflect God through my work, hopefully, which is more, more my tendency. Cause I don't, I don't like the labels of Christian secular. And I don't, I don't know how you feel about those, but. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of people before we use the labels of, of Christian and secular, use the labels of sacred and secular. And um, and again, just as unhelpful uh, because everything is sacred, right? And so how do we how do we go, hold on, regardless of, like this is bizarre, but, but regardless of the content, it was made by an image bearer of Christ. Whether they know they're an image bearer or not, Christ is in that work in some way. And so you're totally correct. Those labels are unhelpful, but sometimes we use those labels in order to say to a family, this is safe, and then be able to subvert those labels somehow. It's like the Easter light, right? We talk about it as a swashbuckling action-adventure game of the Bible for the whole family, right? It's very Christian. But they play it and they realize, whilst this is very Christian, this is cool too, and, and and I can share this with my kids' friends, with my nieces and nephews who are growing up in an unchurched family, with those kids in the neighbourhood who potentially have no connection with the, with the Christian story. In fact, maybe they're connected with another story based on another worldview. I can still share it safely with them because at the end of the day, this is a good story. And at the end of the day, I think that's true of the Scriptures. The Bible can do the heavy lifting. It, we don't have to throw it around and bash people with it. It'll bash people itself. That thing is a weapon. But so often people don't read it because of the people who wield it, not because of the weapon itself. Like, let's just tell the story. Let's just let the Bible do its work. The Word of God says that it doesn't come back void. Well, let's chuck it out. Let's send it. Yep. Let's use it and stop being the biggest hamper to that book, uh, we've, got, we've got a big responsibility, but we've been given all the tools to achieve it, and sometimes we think we're the tools. Sometimes we think, and, and you know what, we turn out to be the tool <laughs> because we get in the way. And, uh, you know, that book is so powerful, man. It's got more magic than Harry Potter. It's got more intrigue than Game of Thrones. Heck, it's got more sex than Game of Thrones. It's got more, it's got more politics Right, it's an incredibly powerful book, rich, full of wisdom. Yet we get in the way, we try and subvert it in all the wrong ways. We try and make it something it's not. You know, a woman by the name of Dorothy Sayers says that we've declawed the Lion of Judah when we try and tell our version of Jesus and not the one who's revealed in Scripture. And I think it's really important that we go back to 
letting the Bible do its thing. That's a that's a really good thing to think about because a lot of times, um, especially as teens and young adults, but really everyone everyone deals with this. You feel the need. You're like, okay, I've you know I'm a Christian. I've got to be got to be ready. I got to be beating people over with the Bible. You know, and if I'm not, I'm not being a good Christian. It's like no, that's that's not how it works. Um, and then you know, there's there's the other side of things where people are like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I kind of don't want anyone to know because it's not really cool to be a Christian. So. Going back to what you said, kind of as a summarizing statement here, you know, final charge to our listeners. Um, would you say you, and I, I want to be careful how I phrase this, so don't, don't take my, my words out of context here, but would you say it's cool to be a Christian or it's okay to be cool as a Christian? Yeah, definitely the second one. It's okay to be cool as a Christian. I don't think it's cool to be a Christian, but I do want it to be safe. Right, and when I say that, I don't mean so. I think Christians will at times be victimised. There are incredible people who have been martyred for their faith. So when I say safe, I don't mean that. I'm saying it's okay to be Christian, right? There's something powerful about being Christian. Will it ever be cool? No. But is it okay to be cool whilst being a Christian? Yes, absolutely. But I want Christian kids growing up to know that there's nothing wrong with them that they've found themselves in a great spot uh, with a gen- generations of people who have gone before them uh, who have loved Jesus well. And I think if you want to be a cool Christian, if you want to be a Christian who, who, who can be cool, it starts with just loving others more than yourself. It starts by realizing that everybody has value in God's eyes. And when we walk and live out in that way, people will see us as cool purely because we're doing our thing, and that is to love other people well. That is contagious, but that is also incredibly endearing to people. There you have it, podcast listeners. It's okay to be a Christian and still be cool. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, It was good talking with you. Um, We'll be praying for your ministry and also be posting a link in the podcast to um, to the site there. Um, yeah, thank you. Brilliant. Thanks so much for having me. Yep. This will be my, this will be my pain. Satisfied